Welcome to the Art School Podcast. I'm Ken Goshen. Today's episode touches on one of the most pressing topics in today's art discourse, the rise of image-generating artificial intelligence. AI burst onto the scene like a hurricane, and today's guest is right in the eye of the storm. He is the one and only Greg Ruthkowski. Greg is a towering figure in the world of illustration and concept art. He's done work for the most influential trendsetters in the field, including Disney, Ubisoft, Netflix, Warner Brothers, and my personal favorite, Wizards of the Coast. This conversation tells the story of how a fantasy illustrator suddenly found himself in an epic battle against robots for the soul of humanity. Who will prevail? And what does it mean for the rest of us? Stay tuned. And as always, this podcast is brought to you by the generosity of my Patreon supporters. Having conversations with leading artists like Greg about consequential topics for creatives is a really important contribution to the discourse, and I want to be able to have many more of these talks, but the only way I can do that is with your help. Full transparency here, making a living as an artist is really difficult, and setting aside the time to produce this show is a very heavy lift. Every episode requires coordination, research, recording, editing, and many, many, many more tasks. So the bottom line is that it's just incredibly time-consuming. The only reason I am able to set aside the time it takes to produce this show is the support I get on Patreon from listeners like you. Yes, it's listeners like you who make this show possible. And the more supporters sign up, the more episodes I'm able to produce. So if you want more of this podcast, like I want more of this podcast, please visit patreon.com slash Ken Goshen and sign up. You'll feel great knowing that your support goes directly towards my mission of making art education affordable and accessible. By signing up, you'll also be able to access my live lessons and endless hours of recorded workshops. It's just awesomeness all around. And the best part is you'll be able to start introducing yourself as a patron of the arts, which is the coolest title ever. So my advice to you is not to spend another minute not being a patron of the arts. Visit patreon.com slash Ken Goshen to sign up, and please know that all support is greatly appreciated. And now I bring you my conversation with Greg Witkowski. Greg, thank you so much for taking the time for doing this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, could you give the listeners who may not know you well just a quick bio of uh, who you are and what you do? All right, so my name is Greg Rutkowski. I'm, I'm a professional illustrator and concept artist. I work uh, in the industry for about like 12, 12 or 13 years. Uh, I worked on projects like uh, Magic the Gathering, Dungeons and Dragons, um, Anno 1800. I got many clients from the game industry, film industry, and, and so on. And basically... Uh, I love to draw and love to paint. And I was doing that since I was a kid and still doing that. And yeah, probably I'll be doing that for the rest of my life. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm, I'm really enthusiastic about this conversation because you actually have my dream job. As a kid, all I wanted to do was just draw dragons, draw dragons, draw wizards, draw all those things. I was hugely into D&D. I, I would get all those super well illustrated books by wizards of the coast and just agonize over how difficult it is to paint these things so could you for anybody listening out there who wants to know how you come to do what you do maybe chart your educational path from a kid who loves to draw to somebody who draws dragons uh, as a profession 
Yeah, um, it's it's basically it's simple as as you know just practicing and doing what you love. So I was always really into the fantasy genre genre um, since I was a kid. I was like collecting some you know comic books. I was uh, like I had like this old uh, comic of Conan Bar- Barbarian, and I also had this cool comic books uh, from Simon Bisley, uh, which called uh, which was called Slain. It was super, uh, super like graphical uh, interpretation of some, not sure if it was like a Slavic culture or maybe Nordic culture. It was awesome. It was some kind of like a, a fantasy, but also with the wrapped in a in kind of like a more traditional, um, you know, uh, clothing basically. And yeah, so I was really into that. And also I liked to, I, I was really enjoying, uh, painting and drawing and that was it. Like I was just doing what I love and I'm still doing that. And somehow I was able to get into the, you know, uh, professional, uh, industry of being illustrator and concept artist. And I guess, you know, um, it's always like the, the 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 main topic of being in in your comfort zone and you know just trying to get out of the comfort zone trying new things and things like that but it's also really uh really important to to you know get back to the comfort zones whenever you can uh when you have like a lot of commissions that you're struggling with and and basically normal work without uh without j- just drawing and painting the normal work that like I was, I was working before, uh, before I was professional illustrator, I was working in printing house actually. So yeah, before I got my first commissions, but after work, I was doing like my simple illustrations, fantasy illustration. That was like my comfort zone. And I was like evolving in that area. And right now, like this area evolved, uh, quite a bit and it's cool. Like it's, it's always something really interesting to, you know, to get back over time. And did you uh, study it under any kind of like formal institution or mostly self-taught? What was your path? Yeah, I was self-taught entirely. Like, yeah, I was trying to like my my basically educational path was was really weird because I was uh, I was about to go to when I was younger. I was about to go to Academy of Fine Arts in Poland, and I was trying to go to you know in this direction of traditional fine art. Um, and, but then suddenly I discovered the, you know, digital art um, and everything I saw on the internet, especially in the game industry was painted um, digitally. And I discovered, you know, tablets, uh, I discovered, you know, Photoshop and everything. And then I realized that, you know, I can do it digitally. And this Academy of Fine Arts is actually like, the additional obstacle for me because I would have to spend much more time on education than just drawing. And I had to provide the, you know, I had, I would have to have the normal job to pay my rent, to pay the, the, you know, uh, basically the university uh, expenses. And I've decided to just, just paint and, and find a normal job. And that was like a good choice for me because I was just naturally uh, by curiosity, just, you know, learning new stuff. Um, and yeah, so that was, I think it, my path is, is quite simple when it comes to learning. I was just slowly progressing, slowly like digging the internet, 
and trying you know new things and yeah <laughs> and uh so i'm really interested in that because um people who are self-taught are fascinating to me it means that you basically have to make really critical decisions about what is going to advance me in the direction in which i want to go and then structure your practice time really intelligently to make sure that you're developing the skills that you're trying to acquire could you share a little bit what kind of exercises you assigned yourself in order to develop and, and grow and learn the skills that you needed? Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, that was like connected to my uh, behavior type of personality because I was, uh, when I was younger, much younger, I was constantly analyzing everything, what I see, like, you know, outside, like how the light is coming through the window, what color is is like what's the reason behind the this color you know um looking at the old masters paintings and any drawing that i saw that was interesting to me um i was trying to figure out you know how to get to that point and what's what's actually what causing the the light on this painting to look so beautiful and i was like analyzing and for in the in the very beginning it was really hard for me to just uh keep progressing in the in the proper pace i was like i was like discovering everything and but i set some like art goals like like a step ahead of me like you know looking at artists that was much better than me but not like old master or or like super professional like top-notch artist so i was like pursuing their style i was like you know digging um all the nuances like with you know beginning with the brush strokes uh ending on like you know lights or color or composition and things like that and what's what's really cool about this self-thought method is that um you you come uh, come across a lot of different methods a lot of different um experiences and to find one solution for you you know and you know that many solutions are not working for uh, for you and you know why because you analyze that you tried that and when you learn that in school you just get what they give you you know they learn they, they teach you about something you learn that and you ten, maybe not 10 but um you not asking you don't ask that much of questions uh, along the way because you know you know that this is the way and you learn that and you, you just practice that and when you when you do something for yourself it's probably it's less efficient way because you will learn something uh in in like you know not longer time basically um but i guess it's it's like the more deeper way to learn something you know and when you mention the old masters are yeah. there any particular favorites because now you're talking my language i'm a huge old master are the way to go kind of guy um and hearing that they've made a contribution to the canon of illustration and concept art of course warms my heart uh and also explains my um admiration for your work i bet uh because we do share a heritage in that sense could you tell us which old masters were most influential uh on your work and perhaps what you took from them 
Oh yeah. I mean, I have like still over the years, I have like just few masters that I'm still getting back to like as an, as, as an inspiration, like the, one of the first inspiration, inspir- inspirational artists were, uh, Jan Mateiko. It's a Polish artist. It was Polish artist. It's, it was like, uh, creating more like l- really large scenes with beautiful execution. Um, there was like Alexander Gierimski, Polish artist. Uh, but also uh, Ilya Repin, uh, Soroya, uh, Sergeant, you know, probably like the, 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 how to say that, like the top artists that, and more, most popular, influential old masters out there. Uh, but um, yeah, I was like, I, I'm still trying to uh, catch all the nuances that they are known from like for instance soroya has like beautiful execution of light and color and i'm still like digging it how efficient he could like paint something using just simple strokes and uh, you, you know using like the light and color in the way that it looks so light and looks so soft that um in some particular situation it's it's like the main inspiration for me uh, some of the paintings that I'm doing, um, I'm usually uh, trying to, you know, find the proper uh, reference for that. And usually I'm looking for Repin, for uh, Gierimski, for Mateiko. And uh, just like few names, because there's like, I have like huge folder of, of you know, inspirational artists, old masters, and it's like, and high, uh, huge resolutions and I'm trying to like just you know zoom it in and trying to find like you know solutions in 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 many ways uh you know how brush strokes are are laid down how you know uh what colors are, are they using in uh, uh were used in in particular places so you know I love doing that it's so so cool like you know analyzing that it's for me like my second passion <laughs> You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step guide to starting your podcast today. What I love most about what you said, this is, this is uh, it's an interesting point that I want to bring out and wondering what you think about it is in the artists that you listed, there's a common theme where the, the brushwork and the materiality of the oil paint is very present in the final product of the work. Yeah. Unlike some old masters, like for example, Da Vinci, Raphael, Jacques-Louis David, Inc. There are some artists who've spent their entire career hiding brushwork and trying to make everything look as smooth and as effortless and as if it was not touched by man. But what yeah. you're pointing to, uh, perhaps to those of us listening, it might be counterintuitive, but there is a very um, present attempt in the in the concept art community to make things that are digital and printed appear as if they have the tactile quality of the paint itself. So it would make perfect sense to me that you would 
look deeply into those people who actually slung the paint around and then managed to recreate that uh, in a printed version. Could you go a little bit into where that motivation comes from to make the artwork look, you know, like there is paint present as opposed to some smoothly finished uh, visual representation? Uh, yeah, it's like... I was always much bigger fan of, of impasto than sfumato. And I was like, um, before I was, you know, I went to digital art, I was, I had a slight background with uh, oil painting and traditional art. I started when I was like 12 with my, with oils and it was, it was for me like huge experience. And the way I was painting the, you know, the paint on the, on the canvas, it was so cool. But then I went uh, right into the digi digital art. And, you know, at the beginning, it was cool that you can create something uh, looking really artificial or almost like photo-like. And it was cool for like five years. And then after that, you know, it started to look too much artificial for me. It was too soft. It was too digital. And... You know, I come up with some solutions in Photoshop and I started doing like different brushes, different uh, sort of like simulations of, of, of paint. And I discovered part of, yeah, like part of my brush sets that were imitating really cool, uh, uh, in a really cool way, the oil paint. And so I did like a couple of, of, of brushes that, you know, I, I, was, I was really comfortable with and it, it reminded me like it was like painting in oil paint. And then after a while, after like a couple of years, I realized like I'm trying to imitate something that I was like doing naturally, you know, like on the canvas. And so I just, you know, I make a place in my office. I bought an easel. I, you know, I started to paint again, like on, on the canvas. It was, it was so good. It was the best choice I could make because there is like a balance right now. I can, you know, paint something after work um, in oils. And, and it's so cool because you know exactly, you have this knowledge about light composition and, and things like that, but you don't have this artificial obstacle uh, all the way when you, where you have it on um, in Photoshop. Uh, you know, on, on every step, you, you have to fight with, with the software basically when you want to imitate the, you know, the, the real pain, it's, it's really hard. You know, it's, it, there are some softwares that imitates better. Like there was a, there was like a coral painter. There's like procreate and many other softwares that, yeah, they have like better solutions for imitating like, you know, oil paint, acrylic paint, uh, charcoal, anything, but you know, it's still like far, far away from what you get on, you know, from the canvas, from painting uh, in oil. So, yeah, I'm I'm like still trying to like do some studies, like you know, client work on Photoshop. You know, with this one consistent style that I, I'm, I think like I get close, as close as I could get, basically to what I have, what outcome I have on canvas. You know, in real life. So, it's kind of like either it's traditional digital it's it's more or less constant uh, cons uh has this consistency consistency in in style so yeah well us uh traditional artists appreciate it and so if any if anyone listening has not checked out greg's work yet i recommend checking it out we're going to put all the links in the show notes 
And you mentioned the word imitate. And I think this is a good segue to talk about a, a broader theme that originally uh, started the conversation between us. Uh, AI, the emergence of AI uh, in the world of illustration. So some of uh, most of our listeners are traditional artists. And so we might not be as plugged into this debate uh, as your community is. So could you perhaps start with an introduction into what's going on with AI in illustration? And why is my Facebook feed just full of posts only about this topic? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I was like, uh, I'm not really, uh, I wasn't really into this topic. Like I wasn't following the AI in general. But like a few months ago, I started receive uh, started receiving a lot of messages from people like, "Hey, Greg, do you did you know that your name is being used as a you know as a prompt or as a you know reference uh, style reference in AI generators?" And I was like, you know, checking because people sent me send me some messages with with works completed works and with sign it with Greg Rutkowski with my name. And I was like, okay, what's going on? You know? And it was really weird for me to just, you know, uh, look at the image that was generated uh, artificially. Um, and it was signed by my name. And so I dig the, dig a little bit the topic and I was like, you know, found out that there are like uh, some generate AI generators that by just typing in, some guidelines or words, phrases, uh, prompts, um, you can simulate or, or generate the image that is the closest way, the closest way to your uh, description. And, and there was one additional thing that uh, was really weird for me that they could like make image more stylized by using uh, some artist name, either it was like old master's uh, name or existing living artist, and so th that's the the thing right now that is really controversial, you know, because um, I don't know, the, it, there's no simple answer to that, and I think as as much as it's uh, really um, astonishing and unbelievable and and sometimes beautiful, it's the same at the same time it's really terrifying and and i you know i see it as a as a threat partially to our industry so yeah it's a long topic <laughs> okay we're gonna we're gonna delve deeper into that but uh but before we do i'm tempted to give just uh just an introduction into what it is because i'm sure some people don't don't really understand what we're talking about so i'm just gonna I'm going to lay out the ground the, the, sure. the ground level and then you tell me if I'm getting something wrong. So okay, cool. uh, in, the, in the very recent few months, there's been a massive development, ma massive improvement in the ability of artificial intelligence to generate images, uh, never before seen images, new images from text prompts. Uh, there are several of those generators out there, most famously uh, Midjourney, Dali. These these are different uh, AIs that are um, developed by different agents, but essentially they they work in a similar way, wherein you can just tell them, "I want an apple riding a horse in the style of Rembrandt," and this uh, robot will do its best to render an image of the kind that you requested. And the image is produced based on 
an archive that has been fed to this artificial intelligence machines of, in this case, all of Rembrandt's canon of works. And so this robot uh, can, based on, a, on, on mathematical analyses of composition, color selection, design uh, preferences, can essentially um, assume what would Rembrandt do if he was uh, presented with this prompt and attempt to create the picture of the apple that we requested in the style of Rembrandt. And what you're describing is these softwares have been unleashed over the world of image production and people are able to just say, hey, I want this uh, dragon in the style that you made famous, Greg's style. Uh, and so new images are appearing bearing the the mark of your uh, creative signature. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so perhaps with this in mind, tell us about the threat that this poses and why people are, wh- why is, why is this a revolution? Yeah. So first of all, like I, I see, uh, I see this as a, as a, as a threat for, for the industry, uh, in a, in, in a few ways. I mean, f- first thing is that it's a, it's sort of like a, like a, I don't know how to put it, like digital forgery or things like that, because whenever someone puts uh, an art name of, of, of existing or dead artist, it's like, it's, it creates this misleading situation where anyone on the internet can, you know, get confused by seeing, looking at the image and, you know, not everyone know exactly what, uh, you know, what paintings uh, Rembrandt did, you know, painted. It's like, okay, it can confuse people, especially younger ones who just discover discover the, the artist's, um, you know, heritage and, and basically portfolios and, and you know. So th- those this, this is the, the first thing. Uh, second thing is that it's, um, it's really um, shady when it comes to comp- uh, copyrights. You know, it's it gets uh, all the in the all the images out there on the internet um, to its um, to its database, and and then you know from that creates one image. And but no one actually like dig what's uh, what's the source of those images. Like there is like a couple of things that are really. Um, yeah, really shady because most of you, you can actually track the the images that were being used in this um, in this database from AI. Um, I'm not not sure what was the site where you could track your your uh, images, but yeah, you can find the source of that. And there was like s- certain sources like ArtStation, Pinterest, you know. So there is like I think that there's a policy violation, but because I didn't consent for you know like second use of my works uh taken from the art station you know being taken from uh, from our station so there's like uh there are like a couple of of issues here uh when it comes to copyright and i guess um the the last thing that major thing is that it was uh from what i know it was um a project initially it was a non-profit project to just you know a research project to to create ai to allow ai to use photos images 
out there on the internet uh, without you know asking uh, about consent because of but because of the uh, nature of nonprofit projects you know but right now you know the companies much bigger companies are treating the, the this lay on database as a foundation this this database that was nonprofit is being used for commercial projects so yeah it's still like uh kind of like uh it has this scheme of of uh money laundering when something is dirty and you have to like you know launder that um it's not maybe not exactly that but still like whenever it's something non-profit and you ask people yeah like you know take a part part of that you know it's cool we, we we we're doing research and we're gathering a lot of images a lot of data out there on the internet and you transfer that and we're transferring that into the ai and it's cool look you know it's it, it learns and it creates awesome results but then there are like companies that seek a profit into that yeah and 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 there is like a situation where um where companies are you know getting richer from this nonprofit project so yeah this is this is really weird and really shady yeah i would go as far as to say that even if it remained nonprofit your consent in this regard is essential yeah. because the fact that people are doing stuff explicitly not for the purposes of making money in my opinion does not grant them the right to use your photographs like even yeah exactly we yeah. have we have a basic we have sorry that i said photographed i meant images of course uh we have we have rules around uh use of images even if you want to post an image in a in a newspaper by an artist you are obligated by law to not only credit the artist but also pay what the artist is requesting for the use of their images and here we are talking mass scale um appropriation of intellectual property this is this is uh, a program that has basically drank up everything you've ever painted and can now produce on demand things that perhaps don't rival the level of quality that you produce but even if it's at like 65 percent it does it at in an instant it takes it one second yeah and it's so, just a matter of time it's just a matter of time so yeah. essentially if this thing improves at the rate at which it's improving uh the whole illustration industry is at threat uh because companies who are looking for visual representation of um verbal ideas like hey greg i want to draw I, i want you to draw me like a blue dragon on a mountain uh why would they come to greg if they have this greg alternative that yeah. could do it could do it way faster and way cheaper so this is this is listeners need to let that sink in because it is just a massive the de- technological development with Uh, unimaginable consequences for the world of of visual art so perhaps if we can try to soberly um analyze the pros and cons uh in your in your uh, opinion and then maybe i'll pitch my two cents yeah sure um 
first thing is that um, yeah, it's a it's a definitely a threat, and not just for uh, for living professional artists, but also for younger like you know junior artists that just you know or either they got right just got into the industry as a professionals or they learning you know how to get to the industry and seeing that seeing a tool or or solution that can generate an image that you know looks like a professional uh illustration um just within the created within like five to ten minutes you know it's really discouraging for young artists you know because why i have to like you know spend thousands of dollars on education and why i have to spend like you know a couple of years of being better and then just learning everything why when i can use the ai and just paint over you know the the outcome and that's the you know really discouraging for for young people uh, but also it hits really really strongly the the educational system when it comes to the teaching concept art illustration especially uh schools that are preparing you know young people uh, to go to to get to the industry and i guess yeah that this is something that will be uh noticeable within next year or two and 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 yeah probably and and like you mentioned, um, you know, that's the question for, for people, like why, why just pay the illustrator for, for the work? Like they can do it like within five to 10 minutes uh, with using like AI. And partially I, at first I thought that, you know, it's, it can be treated as a tool. Like, yeah, I, I like to see some things with, uh, from the perspective, you know, I want to put, myself on the in this opposite side and you know it can be treated as a as a tool yeah but still like there's it has to be regulated it has to have some boundaries like whenever like i use the tool that is like kind of using someone else's style or i don't know like um the the all the copyright background is really unclear for me is is always like really you know it, it, it's it's unethical basically um but yeah still like it's still digital tool and the whole industry world technology going into this direction of of being more efficient in shorter amount of time it's like just anything that you know saves time, save money, and all industry just going into that direction. So I don't know. It's I, I see more uh, more constant pros right pros right now. <laughs> yeah, I admit I admit that I'm I'm fully on your side here, and I also recognize that now if we are to make this conversation more productive, I suggest we. Let's treat these two issues separately. So first, the unethical uh, regulation issue. I totally agree with you that there's there's a lot wrong with taking somebody's body of work and using it to create derivatives uh, based on a style that you've worked your whole life to develop. What do we do about this? If we set aside for a second the damage that it's going to... Uh, reek upon the industry, uh, which is undeniable. 
is there a legally ethical way to regulate these people? Some kind of proposal to say, okay, the law should say this and that to make these, to make these tools at least, you know, they could be devastating, but they could be devastating ethically. How might they yeah. become that? I mean, the first thing that I, uh, I come up with was like just to exclude the living artists from this, this database because I guess like, you know, old masters and, and works that, that are out there for many years. Um, I think it's like much more, maybe not much more ethical, but it doesn't disturb the, the, you know, the, the grow of growth of the career of living artists, because right now it's kind of like interrupting the, interrupting you to, to grow naturally, to collect your clients, to, to kind of create your portfolio naturally. And whenever someone types in your name, it, you know, all the works that you wanted to be there, you know, all the works that you uploaded, like everyone has, you know, better and worse works, you know, to, and, and not every work is in portfolio. So we select the best ones because that's our, like, you know, that's the portfolio. That's what the client sees. That's the, what, what's, what's, you know, people see basically. Um, and that's really important. And right now it's, you know, it affects maybe me affects more than other people because my name is, is being used maybe more, um, but it affects more, more people because today, you know, they use my name, but tomorrow they can use other name of artists, you know, and it can also like, you know, creates this weird situation. So I think excluding living artists from the that database is one thing that should be regulated right now. Um, and just focusing uh, on public domain because that's the you know the the, the license that that allows people to use works uh, in in many ways. So I think legally that's and ethically it's it's the first thing that I would do. But there's you know this is there there is a downside of that because uh, from what I know, artificial intelligence uh, can can't forgot you know, of, mm. of the thing that they learned. So what they do learn I, right now, it's it's impossible to forget in the future. Mm. So whenever, yeah, they there will be like a new regulation that, okay, all the living artists are excluded. No, no, no. Artificial intelligence will be still using that. Maybe not by name, but they will con- connect some dots <clears throat> Sorry, like uh, for instance, fantasy will be connected to my name somehow, mm. just with without using my name directly, you know. So because it will be my name, my works will be still in the di- database. So that's the thing. That's really hard thing to to do right now. Technically, I think. Uh, so first of all, I uh, totally agree with your proposal. Um, and I have I have a little bit to add to that, and I'm I'm wondering what you think. So, in my opinion, the the focus on public domain is almost more important than the focus on living artists because some artists who passed away still you know still there's still contractual obligations with with the copyrights of of their work, mm-hmm. right? Like there's still some some people have uh, transferred all of their 
um, all the rights to their work to some individual, to some company, and, and they, they still hold the rights to that person's body of work, even if that person is no longer with us. So in my estimation, the first step to making this tool uh, ethical and viable is really to focus on public domain. And as far as I'm concerned, if it's impossible for a program to forget and they have recklessly walked into uh, walked us off this cliff and now it's impossible to roll it back, they should financially compensate anybody who's like, for example, they should they should have a kickback mechanism that whenever your name comes up in the abyss of the insides of the code that we can't even read, like that should kick back to you because they are making use of your product uh, without your consent. So in my in my estimation if anybody is to be held responsible uh and accrue the the and and basically absorb the damage of of this reckless mistake it has to be the people who are responsible for making this tool in the first place and you should not be bearing the brunt uh of this yeah i keep saying the word reckless behavior because it is unfathomable to me that a bunch of you know young enthusiastic coders wouldn't even think about the basic um, practice of of copyright preservation. Like even even the YouTube algorithm wouldn't let you play like five seconds of somebody else's song before getting you completely kick off, kick, kick, getting the video completely kicked off the platform. So it 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 looks to me like the the prevalence of this of this um, uh, artificial um, intelligent behavior. So it just suggests a real carelessness, a real carelessness uh, in the minds of the of the developers that I think they sh- they have to be held liable for. And my next question would be: Are you taking any kind of steps to hold them accountable? Is there anything that you can tell us? I don't know if there's legal proceedings or anything like that, but is the, is there a movement that we could join to like help make this a reality? I mean, yeah, I can't say uh, okay. for sure officially uh, okay. anything about it. But uh, the the points that you brought uh, are really valuable, and I I agree totally uh, with you. Um, th- you know, it, it shouldn't be uh, artificial intelligence shouldn't use any of the artists at all, like any any artist at all. Either it's like living artist or public domain artist, but because it still creates uh, you know. The confusion of recognizable recognition of their artworks and you know i'm not it, it, despite the fact that i'm you know digital artist and i love technology um i really think that we as a humanity we are going into wrong direction and we getting uh really uh really aside of of the proper path you know uh we we don't follow the rules that were really valuable like 100 or 200 years ago where you know it, there's a there's this this topic is mentioned on many fields like being aware of what we are doing like mindfulness like in psychology everything that we're doing right now is just to make something much faster much efficient there is always technology and we forget of being human being, you know, being um, aware of what we are doing right now. Um, and, you know, and the, the, the thing is that um, working in an in, in industry 
where it's divided to you know fine art and digital art where the same rules most mostly applies uh this in the same way just just a matter of medium um it's really weird that you know there is a, like the third path of artificial intelligence that gathers you know illustrations from digital art uh, world and traditional art there is like you know everything is mashed up inside there is no no uh, um, res- responsibility of that um, everything is done quietly everything is like already made it's already uh there there already made uh, they already made a subscription plan for users there's like you know millions of dollars around that and i think yeah definitely i think it should be somehow if it's not possible to remove you know it's from the technology yeah definitely it should be compensated let me uh I so generally I agree with you about the going in the wrong direction, but I have a hot take here uh, that I'm gonna throw your way uh, and see if you agree. So I do see a pro in using AI if we exclude everything that is under copyright, but include everything that is public domain. This many, many traditional artists would fall under this umbrella. Like I think Sargent is still under copyright because maybe there's like a hundred years, I forget. Um, but definitely like Da Vinci's public domain. So if these AIs are limited to using things that are public domain and they would like to incorporate the style of Da Vinci, I think, hot take, that if they were forced to um, include some kind of watermark that says in the style of Da Vinci, it might actually bring awareness to the kind of classics that we want people becoming more aware of. And then imagine if somebody is having to leverage this AI and then they have to go back into the art history books and see, okay, which old master is public domain? It might actually lead to a renaissance of art education and learning art history and still leave room for living artists to develop new styles. And then these AIs would have to wait 100 years before they can use them. So it's possible that there's going to be an actual separation between the world of AI that looks like Baroque and Renaissance painting, and and you guys will continue spearheading the world of of, of modern style concept art. What do you think about my hot take? Um, yeah, partially I agree. Like uh, the thing that you mentioned about um, you know the watermark and basically yeah, it still it still can help evolve uh, artistically. Like you know. Um, treat it as a some kind of like inspiration because it's still like because artificial intelligence uh is all like it's a curse but also it's a um it's a huge help in many fields and someone said that um the all the problems that we have in the world that we can't solve as humans uh, artificial intelligence will solve uh instead of us you know because it there its capability of of solving uns, unsolved problems is so huge that we still as humans we evolve in in a like slow pace but uh like constant uh we're still constantly progressing but there is not not a huge uh jump you know into into the um human brain possibilities you know and I think, yeah, we can treat it treat it as a 
kind of like tool to to get better and and but as you mentioned like it should be should be marked as a you know as a uh made by uh you know uh da vinci or anyone else but i don't believe that our society is is pursuing that because most of the people that i know that they are using ai they literally they they treat it as their their own art that's mm. the point like they sign it they treat it i i saw some um posts on the internet that people treat it as a study like hey mm. i did I, i made a few studies of that and and this and it's like generated by ai so how come it's study like it's not a study it's just a random image that you just generated you know and that's the point like uh we expect from people to be people to be grown ups you know um but people are just pursuing like simple uh pleasures uh to just you know makes makes them happy in in some way in some simple way just use that throw it in the internet and sign it uh sign it uh, the the outcome with uh with your name you know maybe some people will you know get uh, give you some likes comments and that's the you know that's the point i i see that this is the downside of that and i think like mostly it will it will um come that way yeah unfortunately i'm inclined to agree with that and so we're we're mostly outlining different aspects of cons and i have more uh but just to recap what we've been saying so far we've been saying this is a huge danger to the industry because it is an easy cheap fast way to essentially replace the work of illustrators and this is causing a a major earthquake for young illustrators who are now in their 20s just kind of like getting ready to delve into the industry after having practiced for 10 years 5 years what whatever it may be um they fear that they might get replaced uh and then this other problem that you just bring up that there is a there's a new generation of quote unquote illustrators who are using ai uh not disclosing it and uh consider it to be a legitimate or on par tool um to 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 just post to social media and to advance their career with work that they've done uh through leveraging ai these problems are very big but i see a an even bigger problem i think at least from at least from my standpoint because i'm not in the illustration industry so i can't yet feel the economic damage and threat that this poses to you and perhaps we're going to get to whether or not you think i'm at risk as well um but for now uh what i see is a huge cultural risk this 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 um may lead us down a path if the majority of images the vast majority of images is going to be generated by ai because corporations will have every incentive to use the cheapest most easily readily available product to generate their images it's and 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 all the images are going to be produced by by these robots it means that our um visual culture will essentially cease to develop because visual because it means that all these images are derivatives they're in the style of uh your work they're in the style of uh uh frazetta they're in the style of da vinci they're in the style of rembrandt but they're always looking backwards they can't produce anything original without being 
without having the, the foundation be something that has already been done. So essentially, we, 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 we're at risk of completely stymieing the development of new styles because these AIs cannibalize things that we've already done. Uh, and it could go this way forever so that we don't even really see the development of, of, of new visual ideas. And that's what scares me the most. Are you scared? Yeah, exactly. Like I, I had the same feeling lately. Like um, in general, I see like humanity is like leaving the idea of progressing artistically. Like they, um, there's not much of knowledge that was uh, out there like 200 years ago. Like we, speak, partially it's because of uh, the whole variety of 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 styles right now there's like um contemporary artists fine artists illustrators digital artists and we use common knowledge there like in in you know in values uh, color lighting composition everything that applies to either fine art uh, oil paintings or traditional uh, um, digital art but i think like because of the this diversity um we pursue uh, the quickest uh, effects, quickest final products than it was before, before people were doing like paintings in three years, you know, painting that was like three meters high and, and like six meters uh, wide. And it was huge. It, it took like three or even more years to finish. It was like a masterpiece. It was, it had like all the nuances out there, like uh, painting from real life, real models, real uh, items, you know, uh, everything was real and everything was um, um, organic, you know. And right now, we, I think like we are getting more towards, you know, everything that is artificial. Like, just look how you visit old towns, like really beautiful old towns. It's all the buildings or all, all the architecture out there it was like handcrafted you know it was so beautiful so inspiring right now we are surrounded with glass with metal with anything that is flat without any interesting shapes uh, artistic approach you know everything is more calculated everything is efficient when it comes to cost of production everything is like uh, made uh, like it was you know 3d printed you know and that's the the aspect that i think is leading thoughts here because artificial intelligence will just multiply that you know it won't uh, it won't change the direction of because i think like fine arts uh fine artists or just artists that are trying to come up with new solutions new ideas or like dinosaurs you know in this in those times uh in these times and yeah exactly i feel like uh i'm you know i'm speaking uh partially uh partially as a, as a traditional artist uh but mostly as a digital artist because of my my uh my years of of working in a, in in this technology and i'm trying to like you know not um not not to uh see that from the really negative point of view you know i'm trying to see some some pros uh in in this direction but really it's it's really terrifying right now it's i'm you know 
Oh yeah, that's the one one thing is that interesting thing about AI art is that it can be treated as a really interesting um, color reference, you know, uh, especially in in some really weird uh, landscapes. It's it's it really has this awesome variety of colors that can be used as a reference. You know, <laughs> that's the thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna. Let me bring let me bring an example from the dinosaur club. Um, this is a perspective that I've that I've heard put out there. I'm not saying I necessarily agree with it, but I'm I'm interested in your takes. So this perspective goes something like this revolution in AI and and the kinds of challenges that it poses to the illustration and concept art community are somewhat related or can be can be thought of in a similar um, way to what happened with fine artists when photography came onto the scene. So it, back in the 1800s, uh, portrait artists were making the majority of their income, right? Painting people who wanted to be painted and had no other way of getting themselves painted, uh, not no other way of getting them their, their image uh, to be preserved and and framed and so on and so forth. And then along comes this tool called photography and essentially uh, pulled the rug underneath these portrait artists' feet uh, and ruined their financial uh, hopes and, and potential, right? to be because it could have been it could be done easier, faster, cheaper. Uh, so why paint portraits? anyway and on some level i could say people still continued painting portraits but on another way i can say the the uh the brunt of this impact the majority of the impact was indeed to push uh art in a totally different direction and then you know we got people like sergeant and soroya and zorn who actually developed this impasto quality that you value so much because they thought in part cameras can't do that Right, so we're gonna elevate the textural qualities of paint to show you what this photographic tool can never do, and so they they actually managed to push painting forward as a response to this uh, photographic threat. Uh, but then there's also the other side where you could argue that after impressionism and and you know the 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 path that uh, art took was more avant-garde, right? And actually did concede ground to photography and say, there's no point in painting any more portraits. Let's do other stuff. Let's do Rothko. Let's do Pollock. Let's do Andy Warhol. So some artists totally conceded the ground and went in a totally new creative direction. Other artists said, we're taking on this challenge and we're going to demonstrate that we have prowess that uh, the photograph can never rival. Uh, and they rose to the challenge. So is there any kind of way that we can uh, look at what's happening today to illustration and say, well, we fine artists, us dinosaurs, we've been through this. Now it's your turn. What do you say to that? Yeah, you brought a really interesting point. Like, uh, I think there are some uh, similarities uh, to to what you just said. Like, yeah, photography was uh, was a thing back in the days that was really huge you know like you mentioned but there was one difference in my opinion like this difference uh where there's always a person uh, uh behind the camera you know there's a photographer who takes responsibility for his actions for his um 
you know, copying someone or or just taking advantage of some situations. So there is always a human in, in behind the camera. And but right now we have we have software, we have computer, we have robots basically uh, behind that, and it's unpredictable. Right now, people that are in the in this industry, in AI industry, they are also like divided. Like they see some advantages of that, but also they see it as a as terrifying technology that can in in some day can be like, you know, um they they won't be able to control it. And I guess what you mentioned uh about you know proving that yeah we in, despite the fact that there isn't a new technology yeah we can prove that we are above that we can do something better and it's challenging definitely but i think like photography uh you know didn't break so many rules like like artificial intelligence so that's the the, the, the differences but i think like dinosaurs like you know you and, and other artists i think um yeah, definitely there, there will be a place for fine art. There will be a place for any art basically out there because I think like still this is something that is worth investing. This is something worth pursuing. And, and you know, history showed us that uh, art is like the, the probably the, the oldest way of expressing our emotions or... Uh, interior you know there was like uh from famous cave drawings to today's digital art and artists are are desirable like in every step people don't see that but everything has to be designed like clothes like everything basically and artists today some of them uh like you mentioned before some of them them went into totally different direction some of them uh they treated the treated this like like a like a like a challenge, and today probably some of them will be using AI as a tool. Some of them will go totally in the opposite opposite direction to just paint traditionally uh, in oils, acrylics, and so on. And uh, and probably yeah, we'll see that in the next few years. Maybe how the industry and art industry basically how will react to that situation. Let's assume, let's assume that your your struggle uh, for ethical uh, implementation of these tools prevails. Let's say you you win, and they are now bound to an ethical set of of standards that we can all agree um, is the best that can be done. The impact on the industry is still going to be monumental and devastating, even if they are ethical. So let's let's assume. The best case scenario. The best case scenario. They are ethical. They are they are limited to only public domain images, and they cannot come after the styles of of actively working artists. Still, still, a lot of a lot of a lot of illustrators are going to be put out of work, have to change their um, the trajectory of their career. If things are if things happen. Again, best case scenario, can you um, predict the impact on the industry in the coming 10 years? What, what, is, what is your vision? Uh, yeah, we'll have to adapt, I guess. That's the, you know, 
despite of all the all the cons and pros that we mentioned, um, everything will be let's say everything will be set like legally and ethically is is you know pure as 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 it as it could be. Yeah, this is technology. We have to adapt. You know, it's something like um, having a um, computer in in home right now, or 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 cell phone or anything. It's like almost like you're obligated right now to have this this thing. You know, which wasn't that uh, obvious like 12, uh, 20 years ago, let's say. So we slightly adapt to the, the, this technology and. There will be definitely a time where uh, there will be uh, this kind of like uh, you know opposite standing in front of the this AI technology. Some of the people will uh, probably uh, you know see a lot of um, opportunities or or you know or leave this industry probably. Um, but still, the game industry will not create games just by uh, doing everything by AI. You know, there will be still designers needed, like illustrators, artists, um, coders. You know, this is the the thing that we have to adapt. And I think like this is the the most uh, the most uh, possible scenario in the in the next ten years that the whole industry will be mostly like we'll we'll probably uh supervise the ai softwares you know doing multiple of concept arts picking one the best one over painting it maybe changing something and you know pushing it forward to the higher level uh you know people and probably maybe let's let's hope for the best let's hope that artificial intelligence somehow uh make the you know artistic uh, artistic language better in terms of um for instance in in i don't know in films in in animations maybe somehow it will create better solutions will 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 be will be able to produce more in shorter times but maybe not you know lacking quality but with better quality somehow you know it's all just predictions so you know it's hard to to say exactly what's what's going to happen, but yeah, we'll definitely will have to adapt partially. Do you think that this uh, revolution pushes some of your peers over to my side, and we'll see more people going in the fine arts direction, or am I just naive in thinking that the AI won't come for me tomorrow? No, I think yeah, I think many people will will uh, go back to the roots, you know, because most of the people that I know that that paints digitally, they had some uh, adventure with with you know traditional uh, oil paints and and basically fine art. Um, but you know, most of the people that I know, they do sketches, traditional sketches with pencil because it's like just a different tool, and seeing what is happening like uh you know we'll be forcing and fighting with ai to just convince people that what we just created digitally is made by human you know it's not made by artificial intelligence which is which is not obvious in digital art but it's so obvious in traditional art whenever you create a sketch it's not possible to create it by artificial intelligence uh not now (laughs) at least uh, but 
the same thing goes with you know painting on canvas you know it, it's it's not possible right now to because you know the, the whole robot machinery that would have to create that in bigger canvas it would be like a huge robot with with all the software and and everything just to paint one painting so i think like dinosaurs are like the the last fortress right now you know to for us you know to, to just go back to the roots and and slowly transition uh some of our uh paintings into different medium uh just to convince people and just to be uh sort of like uh have this scarcity and the rarity of 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 being artists truly artists not not you know somewhat artificial designer or i don't know how 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 i should call that I just want to pick your brain a little bit more about this and uh, see if there's grounds for my pessimism. I had I had uh, arguments about this with my family members recently. So I have in my email inbox, I have people who want to commission portraits, right? This uh, person wants a portrait of whatever, um, their family member and their pet and, and all that stuff. And we're talking about the specifics, the size, the this, the that. It's going to take me a few months. It's going to be very expensive. Why? Why would I believe that I could keep doing this in 10 years if eventually the AI is going to be able to print on canvas or whatever comes next? Should I really feel good about my economic prospects? Uh, and, and are we the dinosaurs? Are we really holding up the fort or are we just like blind to what's going on? So I have family members who say no serious patron of the arts will want a portrait done by a robot Uh, on their wall and to them i say really i don't i don't feel so confident in in that what's your take i i agree with your family actually oh really good <laughs> yeah yeah because i from one point of my point of view it was like i can buy uh i can buy like for instance uh we have like, some polish artists there uh like masters let's say and because of their uh because of the fact that they are popular in poland mostly um you can actually uh auction their works like sketches or studies uh in a really available price so when you think that you can have a print of soroya of you know really famous painters but uh you can pay more and and auction like uh you know the the original sketch or study of some old master you know it's like for me it's like there's no question about it you know i prefer to have something valuable because i think people still treat it as an invest investment you know because no one knows like picasso when when he was like uh back in the days he sold like his paintings for a couple thousand dollars back then and he was like probably it was quite a quite a sum back then but he didn't know that he will be worth you know millions in in after his his death you know it's i think people think about art as similar like okay i'll i'll pay that artist maybe this painting will be worth something in next maybe it will be good investment you know and i think similar similarly about that like i think having original uh Gierimski on on the wall or original sketch of you know maybe less known artists but still like artists from the the age of of you know 
uh, of maybe impressionism or things like that, you know, having something valuable in the wall and truly handmade uh, with that, you know, age, a uh, proper age is something that won't be re- replaced by AI, definitely. Against all odds, listeners, we have managed to pull a note of optimism from the depth of despair. I think this is the best note we can hope for to end on. Greg, this was amazing. Could you please tell the listeners where they can find more about you? Definitely art station. Like there are like most of my my artworks out there. So yeah, I think if you if you want to check out my works, uh, art station is the place best place to to do. <laughs> and I will check. also plug uh, Greg's Instagram, uh, which is where I uh, hang out mostly. And uh, thank you so much for doing this. This was a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, it was it was good talk. Yeah, thanks thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining me. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to see it grow, please take a moment to subscribe, rate it highly, and share it with a friend. If you'd like to become a supporter of the show and have access to exclusive content, please consider signing up as a patron at patreon.com slash kengoshen. For online lessons, please visit kengoshen.com slash lessons. Thanks again, and see you next time.